Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. At GutCheck, we make it our business to understand brands. And over the years, we've learned that some brands are just gutsy. So what makes a gutsy brand? We've identified four primary criteria that help us measure a gutsy brand. We feature brands that are empathetic, pioneering, bold, and demonstrate the power of and, those that see opportunity where others force trade-offs. When we find a brand leader that we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to explore what makes them so successful, what drives them every day, and to get their perspective on other gutsy brands out in the world. GutCheck CEO Rob Wingle had the chance to speak with Frederic Charles Petit, the CEO of Toluna. Toluna is a technology company that delivers real-time insights at the speed of on-demand economy. In today's episode, Rob and Frederic discuss the history of Toluna, how Frederic tackles innovation, and how he tells the difference between a sign and a signal. Kick back and enjoy another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. Welcome, Frederic, to the Gutsiest Brand Podcast. We're thrilled to have you. Hello, Rob. Hello, Rob. Very happy to be with you. It's it's great to have you. So we're going to cover a variety of things today, and, and um, I'm sure our audience is excited to hear from you. And But we really want to start with getting to know you a little bit as a person. So introduce yourself. Who are you? What's your background? Tell us who you are. I'm Frederic. I'm French. I, um, you know, I live in Europe. I've um, spent some time in the U.S. when I was much younger, and that's where I, I got very um, intrigued by. At the time, I mean, it's funny. I mean, you said that, and immediately you, you look you 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 sound so old. I, I was very intrigued by the internet and and uh, what we call the internet revolution at the time. And so, but my background, I come from a, a family. Uh, uh, I lived in Tunisia when I was much younger. Um, great place um and um you know my my family was kind of um a bit of yeah entrepreneur i would say my my dad was an entrepreneur and um so it's in your blood um, i don't know it's in the blood but it's it's the example and and i was always pushed to do better uh from my um you know my family what by that i mean if i came which was often with um, a grade uh, from school, not so great. I was, other than being told um, uh, it's not good and you're not going to succeed, and you, I was told I trust you. You're going to do better next time. I'm sure you're going to work very hard to do better. And so I, I got that as really something that uh, I've tried to um, to do. Um, you know, in good period and 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 more challenging period in the company is that you you have to manage people by by trying to give them um, support rather than, um, you know, being, yeah. You were raised in an encouraging environment. That's, that's I, I believe so. I believe it was, it was the case. I believe we were, we were raised uh, in that encouraging uh, environment. 
you know, and and so I think that's something that almost you know I think is probably more um, more important probably than where you where have you studied and and you know did you get your study with honors or not? I, mean, I think it's more important. Tell us a little bit more of the story of Toulouse. How did you how did you think of the idea to begin with, and and tell us a little bit about the journey. Yes, so I, I'm, I'm, my background was not market research or insights or data. Uh, I, I, uh, I had a different background, but I, I really came came to that idea because I, at the time, I wanted to create a company. So that was the idea. I want to create a company, but I want to create a, a company with a purpose, huh? not just. And I want to create a startup at the time. So I want to use technology, and I studied a number of different businesses. And I came up with this idea, which actually I have to say I, I brought back from the US at the time uh, of um, consumer opinions, consumer reviews, like the power of people giving their opinion on product and services at scale to, um, you know, to, to give kind of this word of mouth or the, the things that you would hear around yourself. So you started with one idea. You had one paragraph in your business plan. That is essentially what the business has become. Tell us how that kind of come to be. Yeah, I mean, I founded this company in 2000. Um, after 2001, there was this big financial crisis. The Nasdaq was at, at you know, probably at its peak in, in 2000. But then, you know, it takes some time to um, look at the consequences of that drop and and all that. So at that moment in time, I made a very very um, um, big decision for the business, which was we're not going to be a shopping engine. We're not going to be, you know, a European opinions.com because actually we've raised a fraction of what we should have raised to become that. And we're not going to raise more money. Now we're going to raise small amount of money. And so one thing that was key, and I've learned that um, very lucky to meet the right people was we have to bifurcate that business. And so how do we bifurcate? We went back to our business plan and we, I said, well, you know, it's, we have thousands and tens of thousands of people and this is a community. It's a vivid community of people and they post their opinions, they exchange with each other, uh, which was extraordinary for the time. Uh, we have a lot of time spent on the site by these people and why don't we ask them a few questions about, and we begin by asking them questions and then we said, well, let's do some surveys. Okay, let's let's do some surveys on those people. And then, um, you know, we saw that they were really answering the survey. They loved it. We basically iterated and brainstormed and we said, what can we do with that, that power of a community? And I, you know, we were using those terms, a community of people who like to give their opinion. And how can we, you know, let's be honest, how can we monetize that? How can we make, and we felt, well, you know, research is a great place to be. And so we did that. And the second thing that we did is that we said, well, now we need to script a survey. Okay, we need to script the surveys. And we didn't find any tool that we, we were completely ignorant of research, we could we could use. It was so complex, so complicated, so convoluted. So the, the UI was so bad of all these survey tools that did exist that, we said, well, we have those engineers, great people. They were supposed to build a great um, shopping engine. 
let's build a survey scripting tool. And so we built that survey scripting tool. And, you know, I went to see a couple of you know, clients along the line. And the client said, you know, your research, it's great, but, you know, you're not the best. I mean, at the time, you, you guys are, you're not the best of, you know, or the most established research company. But can, you, can I see how you're doing this online research? I mean, it's a real meeting with the client. Right. And I showed him how we were scripting the survey, launching the survey, getting the response live in the system. And he said, I don't need to buy research from you. I want to buy this. I want to buy a, a subscription to that product. And so we basically um, build the technology legacy. I mean, the technology foundation of Tuluna was built around 2000, 2001. And one of the things I've, you just described even from the early days that you might have started with one idea, but then you adapted it. You know, we, we've all studied enough businesses to know that there are plenty of businesses that don't adapt and don't change. But it seems like you and your leadership team have historically recognized that you need to keep adapting to change. Talk a little about how you go about that. Yeah, I mean, there's been many, many different changes. I mean, one is is really looking at the market condition and, and saying well, we, what we decide that doesn't work or uh, it will work ultimately, but not now. So how do we, how do we adapt to that? Um, it's listening to the client. I mean, the problem is that when you're a startup and you're just beginning, you don't have enough client that you can really listen to them. And, and I mean, you're listening to the client that you have. The problem when you don't have enough client is that, I mean, it's your sample base. Big enough. Sure, you, sure. You're, you're, you're just uh, so. I think it was. To be honest, it was. I I, I don't say that to. It was gut. I mean, it was it was uh, gut. It takes gut to uh, an instinct to know that. Yes, I believe we believe online research is going to be the future. And okay, we believe that technology is going to be a key driving force for research, as it is for other industries, and we're going to stick on it. But the bifurcation comes from, I, I didn't think signs, a sign is just one, and a signal bleeps. And when a sign becomes a signal, then it's a signal that you might want to do something about it. And That's really well said. And, and I think this is really, and I, I, it's making the difference. I always say you need to make the difference between a sign and a signal because a sign is might be just a bleep. And a signal, yeah, it's like SETI searching for, um, you know, um, you know, extraterrestrial intelligence. It's not a sign that you, it's a signal that you, you want to search for. And that's what we've been good at. Not always good at identifying these signals in the marketplace. How, how you mentioned when you, when you founded the company, you, you did see something similar in the US, you brought it to France and that you, you not being a researcher, that you've taken a lot of um, you generate a lot of your ideas by looking at other industries. Now that your company is more mature, where do you get your ideas? Do you still look at industries outside of your core industry to generate ideas? How do you? Yes, I, I, I think that I looked at a lot at the advertising industry, marketing, uh, the, the, what we call the, the, the MarTech, uh, you know, marketing technology I looked at these forces and I said, the beauty about, I mean, I shouldn't be saying that, but I said, I said at the time, the beauty about research that you don't need to, I mean, I shouldn't be saying that because it's going to be looking, is that you don't need to be a genius to innovate because there are 
within the vicinity of research, there are industries that have, were more advanced than research for many reasons um, in technology adoption and in online adoption, and that you had to follow and look at those trends. So the way you communicate with people, you know, the way you engage people, I mean, I'm talking for panel, the way you incentivize people, um, you know, the way you conduct research and why people would take online research rather than telephone or right. face-to-face or street-based research and, and so on and so forth. So I think that I've looked at, at this. And then at when, when this was done and then the next generation um, of research came, I mean, driven by technology, we looked at, okay, how do you, how do you do advertising today? You do programmatic. So, you know, why don't we do programmatic for, you know, how, how we brought the research and, and so on and so forth. I mean, you, you have to look at other industry to feed, to feed your, your, your ideas, but you need, you, you need research expertise. Huh? You can't just have, you need the research expertise. And you've you've used the word bifurcate a few times. You're operating a, a, a very large global business now. How do you go about thinking about future strategy? Do you do you set aside particular time? Do you generate ideas in a very purposeful process, or do the ideas come to you in different ways? What where do you get inspirations? So I, I think that's great because I believe in I I. I I used not to believe that much in in you, you know process driven innovation, and you know because I kind of was I, I was not trusting the process. I felt that I, I I always had a sense that you put processes to um, to basically ease your fear of not investing where you should and and all that. Um, but I I think that as the company has scaled up and grown, you have to have this process because you're, you're talking about large financial resources that are being deployed and, and you have to, to, to make sure that it's done in the right way. The way we've innovated historically, I, tell, I told you, it's like really initially it was, I, I can't say it was like long session of brainstorming and analysis of market. It was really meeting client and prospect and out of those meetings, understanding that there was a need. I, I walked in one of these meetings with a client, a prospect back in 2002. It's a pharmaceutical company. And I'm trying to sell them consumer panel or like, like you know, uh, not that I'm a great sales guy uh, in terms of, and they said, well, that's not what we need. We need a, we would like to be able to question physicians. And I said, well, you know, that's, I said, well, we have the list of physicians and we want you to handle the recruitment and we want you to do this because you're doing that online. We want that to be online and we want, and I came back from that and I said, we have to build a technology for custom communities. I, I swear, I mean, it was one meeting with one client and I built that custom communities initially for that client. And that's where one of the line of business that we've created. So I believe that you have to listen to clients listen to clients, not that they tell you what to do, but they, they basically, they basically give you a, a, a define their needs and understand their needs. And when you understand their needs, you, you can build something. I think that's, that's the way. Now, the way we are structured today and Rob, I mean, you, you, you know, that from, from uh, a couple of, of, of uh, weeks from the inside. Now we are structured in a way where 
there, there is a product team that meets with clients. We're doing a lot of surveys with buyers of research, buyers of insight to understand what they need. But we also rely on the engineering team. I think that's very important. Innovation without the engineering team can't exist because you need to define needs and what you want to build. And you have to let the engineering team come back with a solution that might look completely different to what you expected. And I think that's that's what differentiates technology company from company who just send requirement to development team. And I always separate between development and engineering. Uh, development is one thing. Engineering is another thing. It's, it's an interesting observation and approach because one of the things I've read is that there are a lot of companies who just send requirements and assume engineers just build the requirements. And as a result, a lot of it, I'm generalizing, but a lot of engineers actually have a very strong creative streak. And engineers who work for companies where they are not given the opportunity to really create end up having a separate hobby or a passion to use their creativity. And companies who actually recognize that developers can bring creativity and technical skills are the ones who absolutely get the most innovation out of their engineering team. Let me, I wanna switch gears a little bit to talk about brands. Tell us how did you come up with the, the brand name Tuluna and does it mean something? You know, there is no name, it doesn't mean, it does, Tuluna doesn't mean, um, it doesn't mean something, but it means something. And the name is great. We 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 took that name because um, we felt there's no you could pronounce the name in many different uh, language. It's only uh, we say syllabus in French. It's only two. Uh, it's three syllabus, two lunites. So it's not very long, so it's easy. And also, you know, you you could point out uh, to the moon. Um, and when you um, you know, when you shoot for the star, at least you can end up in the moon. I think that's a, a quote. So obviously your your products, your services, your solutions are what clients are buying. Uh, but you are you have a global footprint. Are there any kind of key things you've done to build the brand around the world to make sure that what the value proposition is is clear and any kind of tips you might share with our listeners? We've tried to, um, and that's that's a good question because the company has evolved so much. You know, the brand has had for the buyer. I mean, uh, for the buyer, because we're a B two B brand, so we we have to 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 uh, really understand that we're a B two B brand for the buyer of two thousand five and the buyer of two thousand twenty two. This is a completely different. Um, brand attribute. It's it's in two thousand five. You were buying um, mainly um, mainly data collection. Um, in two thousand twenty two, you're buying um, you know a platform based um, you know research or insight. Um, you're buying uh, what I call um, you know the best platform in the world, a platform curated for research. And so I think that one of the challenges is this evolution of the brand. Does the does the brand follow the evolution of the company and its product? And I have to say that when you're coming from a background where you're small and you're nimble and you're you know 
your advertising is to directly to the buyer. You know the buyer. I mean, that's 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 what defines the brand. And you're becoming global. You have to ensure that um, you know that consistency across the globe. I think one of the best things that we've done, but it's long time ago. We've decided to have a global marketing team. So marketing was dispersed and was mainly operational marketing, like event-based, um, you know, exhibition field marketing. at the time. Yeah, field marketing. And we decided, no, 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 we need to have, we need to define, you know, we had value for the company. We need to define the value for the brand, what the brand stands for, what's the mission of the brand in the market. So we built that manifesto. And I think that, uh, um, and we were making sure that first and foremost, our own staff were the best ambassador for the brand. They understand what that brand means, what the mission of the company means, and the company being, you know, represented by that brand. But there is no secret sauce. I mean, it's 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 a challenge. It's a challenge that's further. I would say for Tuluna, it's further complexified by the fact that the group doesn't operate only one brand. Um, the group operates a a kind of a, a family of brands. The insights industry is crowded. Um, and yeah. if you go to any of the um, research events, it feels like a sea of sameness, that a lot of companies are saying the same things, offering a, a similar message. Um, is that global scale the biggest differentiator for Toluna? Or? First of all, I won't say it's, you said it's crowded, I would say it's fragmented. I like that you um, took my word where I said we were crowded and said fragmented. So that actually, when you talk about the Toluna value proposition, the Toluna value proposition of, of creating a platform curated for research is very much driven by solving a client need then in, in that clients are, if you try to, you know, we talk a lot about empathy and trying to put yourself in client's shoes. If you were to put yourself in client's shoes and you realize how fragmented the the universe of suppliers is for them, the idea of a curated platform or a platform curated for research is being really thoughtful to clients. It's, it's recognizing that right now, whether it's geographic or for particular um, solution expertise, they have to go to many different sources because of the fragmentation. So the idea that you're really pursuing is one that unifies and makes it easier for a client to do business right yeah and it's it's putting the client at the center of gravity it's being client centric and you don't go to client and say oh you know um you know diy is the best and service is so outdated and and it's not true i mean it's it's frankly it's it's commercially you could say that and and you could actually go up to a certain level but are you going to really solve clients problem it doesn't mean that you need to do it the same way that it's been done for decades. It's a different way. The notion of a platform curated for research um, and being the best platform in the world, a platform curated for research, is that notion that the experience of the client and the research experience is all embedded into the platform, but it doesn't mean that you don't need to interact with a human being in order to do stuff or for a human being to support you within that research process. It's really uh, reconciling or you know building those uh, building that junction between technology on one part and services on the other part because it's a largely serviced industry. I mean, there is human intelligence 
So that that is the key, creating this holistic integrated research experience. We're gonna ask you a couple lightning round questions. So you, you get to see the world um, and you work with a lot of companies and brands that are really spectacular brands. So we're gonna put you on the spot a little bit. So we're calling this lightning round, the DNA of a gutsy brand, which we kind of, based on all our conversations, we've identified four core components. I'm gonna throw out a component of gutsy brands and ask you to identify a, a brand or an ad campaign that stands out to you. So we'll start with empathy, which is there a brand or a campaign that really stands out as understanding people? You know, I think um, I think of the Nike brand. If I ask uh, uh, first of all, because they, I'm trying to be a runner, and I think Nike understand what it means to run. I mean, it's it's really from day one. And I think it's it's a brand that embrace all type of different people, regardless of where they come from. And and that's at least the vision I have of that brand. And and you know, and it's it's fantastic because it's a brand that we were almost born with. I mean, for I mean, I'm, I'm I'm talking about myself, and and it's still it's still a great brand. I mean, tell me of brands that have it's such still modern and still, relevant, yeah, and, yeah still and cutting it's not edge. a luxury brand. It's not a luxury brand, but it's really a, a very very uh, long standing brand, and people love it. I mean, it's 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 they love they love it. So I, I would say Nike. So the the second one is being innovative. It's pioneering, creating new ways of thinking or new ways of doing business. Is there a brand that stands out to you? I think I would say I don't know if it's innovative, but it's it's this notion of the outsider coming and completely reinventing um, an industry. So, and I would take Virgin Galactic, Virgin, the brand Virgin in in which I, I don't know if you're familiar yes, with yeah, that brand absolutely. in the US. Yeah, and I I think it's it's how this brand is coming and and disrupting some market with you know that value proposition um and the latest one is is uh, that everyone knows about is the uh, the space is there a brand that sticks out to you that has done a really good job of being bold and, and sticking to being bold yeah i think maybe it's it's obvious huh, what i'm going to say so i'm sorry for the audience i'm not going to bring a brand that's i think tesla for me is 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 a brand that has been extremely bold um you know, not just the notion of of that electric vehicle, but even when the first time you enter um, a Tesla, it's a shock. It's completely changing the way um, you know you uh, what, what the drive the, the experience of driving or even the experience of being a passenger. Now people are more used to it. But even if you go to a Tesla and you you go to another electrical car vehicle, it's a complete different experience still. And I think that from that standpoint, it's it's a very bold company and brand. Interesting. That's a great example. And then the last one can be a little bit tougher, but um, in in our business, there are so many brands and companies who feel they have to make trade-off decisions and compromise. And we think that the brands who really stand out the most are the ones who actually seize on an opportunity where others might see a trade-off or might compromise it. I'm not sure that our audience internationally would, would, would hear of that brand. It's, there is a brand in France and in Europe called Free, um, like Free, and it's in the uh, telecommunication space. And they came, they came with, with this value proposition that you could have a, a mobile uh, subscription um, you know, for 
you know, up, you know, low, low, as low as um, a couple of euro per month. Like, and, and that it was really the democratization of, um, you know, being able to communicate. Um, and, and, um, and they came, they came with initially the internet connectivity. So they, they were the first one to bring unlimited internet. I mean, now for our audience here, it's, it's mad. I mean, how can it not be unlimited? But at the time it was limited, unlimited internet and then unlimited communication. And I think that's, that's somewhere where you identify that you could, you could have a valuable business proposition by not doing it the same way than the others. And the innovation is in, is in the packaging of the offer rather than an innovation, which is technological. It's not a technology innovation. It's really how you package things. So now um, that's, that's actually, those are great examples. Uh, so now we're gonna get to know you a little bit more personally. And we call this section, Spill Your Guts. So the first thing is, and, and you um, from Tunisia, grew up in France. What's the first brand you remember as a child? And why why was it memorable? The first one is not a brand. Okay, I'm sorry. It's a product. It's a product that I used to have almost every day in Tunisia, which was a, like a, a kind of a Tunisian donut. So there is no brand. There was a, a small shop and I wanted my donuts from only that shop i mean that's that's which is which is almost it could have become a brand i don't remember how it's it's the shop was called but that's this image of um you know like is it still around uh actually funny enough i i i um i went um i went uh to tunisia over the summer and i it's still around that place is still around it's probably the 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 you know the the, the great grandchildren or, or whatever and uh still around and is is as good as you remember it's as good as i remember yes as so good maybe, as I remember. maybe you should turn it into a brand and, and franchise yeah maybe uh, i have some shop. idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the other brand is disney 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 did you go there go there as a child no disney because of of, of uh, the cartoons that there was only one channel or two channel in tunisia and we had like one every every evening we had like a not Disney Channel, but we had like um, uh, a Disney cartoon. So that was Disney, my my the first brand I, I I truly remember. That's great. Is there a book or a movie that kind of represents your your career journey? Why? No, I don't. I I don't think it represents my career journey. But I think this notion of of always trying and and always you know fighting hard, the notion that if you're in the action, you can't lose. You know, by that I mean. Status quo is a problem. I mean, if you don't, and so I think that the whole series of the uh, Rocky Balboa uh, movies, uh, I, I like this. I like this because he's a, he's a, he, at times he's a winner, at times it's more challenging, but he's, he's always, uh, it's almost like if the journey is more important than the, uh, the result. I mean, and I think that's, that's something that we, uh, that I like. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. That's great. So how do you describe what you do for a living to your to a child? How do you describe your job simply? Oh, they don't understand. I keep saying I ask people questions, um, you know, and I try to, I, I, say, I ask people questions so that they can, uh, that we can build um, product or food that you love 
and I give them example, but it's very hard to uh, to explain. The minute I said that though, and I, they, they ask, you know, but how do you do that? And I said, well, we have people who answer the question. I said, why, and what are you doing? And I said, well, they're very loyal. They, and we give them some points. And every time I say that to, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, the family, the, the kids' family, they said, oh, can I join the panel? Can I, because <laughs> they want to, they, 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 they want, they, the they want to participate. They, they want to participate and they love the idea of their, you know, I, I, I noticed something is that the idea of, the idea of giving your opinion goes across ages and social class and all backgrounds. People love to give their opinion. They love to give their opinion. And I think this is really great for our industry. And if we're a big believer, even at the age of big data, we have data science team. You, you, Rob, you, you're a fantastic data science team as well. Um, the notion of someone, the individual giving their opinion is still extremely relevant, not just because of first party data, but believing in human giving their opinion. You've already given us, um, shared some stories, but is there a particular piece of advice that you would give to someone who is trying to build a new company, build a brand, um, trying to stand out in you know, the most competitive market the world's ever seen? Is there any one piece of advice that stands out for you? Yeah, it's very hard. It's always, you know, it's, it's listen. Even if you pretend initially that, no, I don't like the idea that you're giving me and it's not just digest it and, and, and listen to, to people around you. You ultimately you have to make decision, but you have to listen to, to those people and try to, it's very hard because when things are good, it's, it's easy. When things are not as good, it's very tough. I try to, uh, um, you, you know, be very agile, um, you know, on making decision. I always say, uh, an average good decision taken on time is better than the best decision taken too late. And I think that it's easy when you're 15, 20, 50, but when you're 1500, like we are, it becomes very hard. So you have to, you have to delegate to do that. So I think also the notion of delegation is very important in companies, even at the early days. Finally, I mean, there's a lot of advice. It's always to try, um, you know, to hire people who, are, you have to hire people who are better than, than you are. Because otherwise, you kind of hiring people who are not better than you are. I mean, you know, why fall? All right. So now the last one, and this is where we have fun and we learn something about your personality. We have, we're compiling a gutsy brand playlist. What song would you add to our playlist? Yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm French. So I'm going to give a French singer. Huh? Maybe people would know, maybe people, I would give uh, Edith Piaf. Edith Piaf is a French singer. She she's she's uh, she's she's she wrote uh, La Vie en Rose. I mean, she she basically you know it's a very famous song. Um, and the reason why it's they're all playlists because this is the example of someone that against all odds, hugely talented person, very tough upbringing. We would say in English, very tough upbringing, and became a, a truly became a global star. She would probably have millions of fans today. I mean, if she had been at the time of social media and so on. So she um, she went to the Carnegie Hall. She went everywhere across the globe, and um, you know, being that that huge personality, even beyond the songs that that she uh, that she played. Mm-hmm. 
this has been great. And Taluna is a fabulous company you've built from, you know, to, to hear about those early days of no sales to 250 to 500 to 15 to 45. Um, that's extraordinary. And now to see that you're, you know, many multiples of that around the world and, and making a difference for brands and companies and people all over the world is a fabulous achievement. So congratulations and, and thanks for joining us today. And and thank you for I'm very happy at Tuluna to join forces with uh, Gutcheck. Uh, we love the brand and we love the people and and we love the value proposition that uh, you you brought to uh, to market. Uh, a fantastic company. Thank you. Well, Rob, it was great to hear from Frederic about the history and vision of Tuluna, especially now that Gutcheck is part of Tuluna. Always good to hear from uh, the founder and CEO of the company you now work for. Definitely. So let's get into it. What are our takeaways from today's episode? Well, I think the first one is that any of our guests with a European accent of any sort are automatically more impressive than than the rest of us. Um, One of the big takeaways for me is so much of what we've been kind of learning in the Gutsiest Brands podcast is about people who are building brands in a very intentional way. And what we saw and, and heard from Frederic, I think, is an entrepreneur who was really all about building a business. And kind of the brand is built with the business as opposed to some of the others who are really excellent marketers, not that Frederic isn't, are building brands and kind of the business goes along with it almost in more sync. And I think when I listened to the story of Taluna and how it's been developed as a global um, leader, it's very much about the business and how we built the business. And the brand is a result of that as opposed to the opposite way around. Yeah, I agree. And one of the big things I took away from it is how thoughtful he was about how your vision can kind of take an unlikely turn based on feedback or based on engineering. So there are a lot of people that contribute to a product being successful or a brand being successful. And it was great to hear, you know, a fearless leader, a CEO calling out an engineering team and how important they are in innovation. Absolutely. And and connected to that is just the principle of agility that that um, Taluna has been through, like a lot of companies, but Taluna as a company and a brand has been through a variety of iterations um, and have moved with the market and helped to move the market into different places. And that being adaptable, being agile, which is obviously a, a, an innovation principle, but it's also a strategic philosophy that's been at the center of Taluna's um, evolution. Again, for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. To hear Frederic's song selection, check out the Gutsiest Brands playlist on Spotify. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.